probably all affirm that having two dogs with seven legs total is a good thing. All right, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Um, my name's Tamson, and we're very excited that you're here. Um, lights are coming and going. <laughs> don't want to see me. You just need, I need some dappled candlelight vibes going on. So that's a bit, thanks for the, Dan, that's a bit of lighting for me. Um, uh, well, there's some lovely new faces. Um, welcome if you're new. Um, thanks, Tish. I always love hearing what you have to say. Um, we are in the second week of Lent, which I'm sure you're all tracking very, very closely <laughs> with your, some sort of restrictive diets of some form. We, um, I found out that Greek Orthodox go vegan over Lent. I, I didn't know that. Um, not, not George Greek Orthodox, but others. <laughs> um, but we spent our first Sunday of Lent feasting on pancakes and waffles and all good things. Um, so we weren't quite adopting a restrictive practice as a community um, because we were feasting. Um, but I do, I don't know about you, but I do enjoy when we connect to the liturgical calendar. Um, it's something kind of grounding. We did a series on ordinary time at some point in our history. and um, But it just connects us to the larger church, which sometimes we don't always do here. We sort of feel like we're in our little a little bubble a little bit, but um, it's this kind of time that ticks away underneath us and it connects us to the church. And um, so now we're in the Lent period um, and we're going to start a short series um, leading up to Easter where we come together around the practice of reading scripture. So the glaze begins. <laughs> which, um, which is not something we always do in our sermon series. Our sermon series cover all sorts of things some of them go for months and months, ages and ages, as they say in the Bible. Um, but this is a short little series on reading scripture. And I'm sure if I sat down with any one of you in the room and you told me your experience of reading scripture, we would have enough for a really good conversation. Um, it could be, I have never read scripture and I, I plan not to ever. You know, it could be something like that. It could be anything. Um, I know my relationship with scripture has changed it's been filled with many shoulds. Um, when I first became a believer, I don't know why I adopted this practice, but I would go out to our, we had a huge kind of bush block, and I'd go out to this open garden shed down the very back, wrapped in a blanket, and sit on this small chair around with spiders everywhere and read. I would open the Bible to Psalms, I don't, and I would choose a psalm. Many of the Psalms were really problematic, so I would find a nice one um, and read it. And pray, and that was my morning as a 17-year-old sitting in a shed. That was kind of what I'd been taught was a quiet time. Um, and at the time, it was quite life-giving for me. Um, I don't know when it stopped, but it obviously stopped at some point. And somewhere in my mind, scripture reading still sits in the, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not getting up early to a quiet place where it's cold and I'm reading the scriptures Perhaps I should or perhaps you expect me to. I don't know. Um, so, that, so for me, that kind of quiet time, um, I was taught very much that especially if you got married, you would get up before your partner and pray before the Lord, before the household woke up. And somewhere that's in my head as well. Gosh, that doesn't happen. Um, but, yeah, so I guess for all of us, we have a different connection to the scriptures that we have at a core of our faith, our faith tradition. Um 
the best way, a tradition here in FMCC is to do a human scattergram. Um, that's where this floor becomes um, kind of a reflective space that we all can move towards. Um, and I've got a few statements and you might not agree with the whole part of the statement. You might find yourself agreeing with part of it. That really resonates with me. Um, you might find that you don't agree with any of the statements that I've put up there. So you can stay standing right in the middle. It's the beautiful central spot. Um, and just but you might connect with one of them. Um, I've never found the scriptures to be life-giving. I have major hesitation in a series like this. <laughs> there was a random laughter from one person over here. <laughs> and if you feel like that's part of your experience, when in a minute I'll get you to go and stand, this is, this is the room, over near the coffee. Um, if you feel like that reflects you a little bit, maybe stand close-ish. You need to open the door and go to the park to emphasise how, how much you agree with a certain part. You can do that as well. Um, the, scripture, the scriptures are a life-giving source for me and engage with them regularly, both privately and corporately. I won't judge you if this is your experience, um, but this might be you found a way that this, these scriptures are life-giving again or through study or you've found them always to have been this for you. I have a complicated relationship with scripture, uh, open but cautious. And the last one, I have a neutral relationship with scripture, but deep down feel that it should play a larger role than it does. And in the centre is some, 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 a mish of all of them. So what I'm going to get you to do is stand up straight away and move to the room. Um, this is, I'm standing in the complicated relationship, open but cautious. Dan up the back is neutral. This is negative. This is fairly positive. Go for it. Wander around, find your spot. We're almost making a perfect circle here. Just gonna. I'm standing. <laughs> um, and just have a quick look around. This is a really interesting. Like, have have a look where we sort of find our community. Um, I think nothing encapsulates a community more than one thing and we all find ourselves in very different spaces for this. Um, would anyone in the, I have a complicated relationship with scripture, I'm open but cautious, want to share a bit about why they chose, I've got a really strong shaking of the head already happening. Um, I'm not, I'm, I won't force you, especially if you're new, gosh. Um, anyone want to share up this, I'll, I'll, I'll encapsulate anyone why you are standing where you are? So much of it is contextual and so much of scripture has stories about a lot of the culture, a lot of the community. Um, I kind of read it at different points in time. So, but I also do think that scripture is contextual in the Bible and in the canon and for our family and for us reading this and thinking about this and thinking about that. So we, we read it, but then I'm not over there. Like I think I'm kind of... Neutral. Up the back for you. Mush. There's a should attached to this statement. Anyone down the back want to? I'm here for the should. I think. Yeah. Um, 
that area would be nice uh, if I was more regular with my reading and uh, maybe I, I used to be and I'm not for whatever reason, but open. And we might move over to this side. Um, I'm glad to see people finding this as a life-giving, any, I just, um, that wasn't like a, I'm chatty, what can I say? Um, I feel like I'm somewhere between the life-giving and complicated segments. I feel like it's part and parcel of studying theology, is like you, like acknowledging its complexity and the complicatedness of everything that goes in, in this like, text. Um, but also through theology, I think I've found tools and resources that help me to not hear them as oppressive texts, um, but... Um, yeah, can speak into a, a new context in a, in a different way. Yeah. Any of the, the folks in the middle? Ryan? <laughs> um, yeah, I think that I grew up in a church that was very should, which was kind of similar to you, like this quiet time thing, um, an expectation that, yeah, the Bible should be a really, really important part and you should find life out of it. Um, and I've kind of gone from, like, super hesitation to just not wanting to read it at all to being very neutral. And then, like, I'm trying to push myself to be open. Um, yeah. And for the, um, hasn't been life giving. No, <laughs> okay, that's that's part. That's true. Hey, <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think in another life I could have been a very good, conservative, reformed, gentleman. I know in another life, um, and I I find that I still. That still seems to be my default stance. So in a sense, I often want to be able to justify my current position against that starting point or I want to be able to test my ideas against that rather than having a sort of neutral starting point. So I kind of um, I have a hesitation in the sense that peeling away from that process took a long time and was quite difficult. And so whenever I sort of re-engage with it, it sort of brings up those things again. And I don't think that's entirely unhealthy, but it's exhausting. Anyone busting to say something from where they're standing? It's, it's, I, I really enjoy hearing this. I think finding that this is not coming with a, well, now we're going to get you reading the Bible again. It's not coming with that. Um, but it's just a, a respect of, oh, this is where we are as a community um, and we engage with the scriptures coming from this place. Um, so thank you. You can find your seats. Um, can I quickly have a look um, at any – who read the weekly – Rod's weekly note this week? And who was able to – who was able to just – look at those scriptures and read them once, twice or a couple of times. Um, okay, great. Um, 
If you're not familiar with the community, lots happens on Facebook. Um, so do we'll, just like us and you'll get kind of updates and homework and things like that. What fun. Um, but, uh, but the weekly note, I really recommend you read Rod's weekly note. It was a, a really helpful introduction to this. Um, but, uh, yeah, he sort of tapped on a series we did called the Bible series and it was one of our long series um, and there are just so many ways where when we try and re-engage with Scripture, we come up against some some hurdles for many of us. Um, and much of this was based on some sort of assumptions in the church. One would be that throughout the whole history of the church, the Bible has spoken with one voice. The voice of God is in every Scripture, is in every part of the Scripture, and that's just the voice we adopt. God has spoken through everything that's written there. Is can be something that you've experienced. Um, or that the Bible meant whatever your pastor told you. So the interpretation, you didn't question it, you would read it, your pastor would tell you what it meant and because they had the training, they were the ones to trust and you just kind of passively listened to that interpretation Um, and um, it just, there was like an unquestioning obedience to that. Um, I would add, for me, there was the pressure of, firstly, the quiet time private reading there was that pressure that was done solo, um, but also public passivity so that scripture was read and expanded and there was a passive receiving of that interpretation as that was kind of, it wasn't, I didn't, we didn't stop and ha- pass the mic around. Gosh, no, you know, but um, it, was, it was kind of, the, uh, there was a lot of this going on from the pastor up the front. Um, but yeah, for many of us, um, the process perhaps, um, for, for me indeed, flattened um, and perhaps sort of deadened scripture for me. Um, the, the late Rachel Held Evans, who's a real goodie and I dearly um, miss her writing, but she put it um, that, yeah, that scripture becomes flattened to a point where it's no longer a life-giving, creative, interactive or living practice for many people in the church. Let me read that again. Um, it's flattened to a point where it's no longer life-giving, creative, interactive or a living practice. Um, she, I recommend this book actually. It's a really not a very accessible one. But we've been instructed to reject any trace of poetry, myth, hyperbole or even symbolism um, or even those um, when those literary forms are virtually shouting at us from the page by talking snakes and enchanted trees. Um, but yeah, there's sort of like a... I'm sure, yeah, I don't know when for me the Bible lost the, the excitement of a new book or something to learn from or, but there is that process happens um, for many people in the community of faith. Um, we, out of our scripture series, we um, we sort of like questioned, oh, go back. <laughs> Don't, don't see that one too quickly. Um, scripture for you, if many um, sort of this model um, of scripture is like one wheel of a tricycle, um, your personal experience and the history or the tradition that we belong to sits in how we view our faith in this kind of balance of we don't just go to scripture to know how do we know God or, or we, and we don't just go to our personal experience and we don't just go to our church history, but they all balance each other out. Um, and Richard Raw would say that your personal experience of the life-giving nature of God is at the front. So he would say that tricycle is not just kind of three. I don't know how to change a tricycle, so there's no nothing at the front. But um, but 
he would say that 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 drives your experience, the testing of, well, this is not life-giving. This interpretation of scripture is actually deadened or flattened. Um, Or my encounters of how that verse has been used and abused and thrown at people means that's my first lens that I view. So that's, I found that a really helpful model. Um, Many churches, dare I say, would be a bit more like this. And I don't know what's the front wheel. <laughs> so it might be scripture is the front wheel. That's everything is filtered through scripture and every other voice is quietened. You don't talk back. You don't dislike verses. You just accept it, that that's, that's the lens and you fit yourself into that lens. Some communities, that front wheel would be personal experience where scripture is actually, might not have even be on there, but really just... I felt this, I really feel moved by God. I'm going to give you this prophecy of hasn't connected to the tradition, to the scriptures. It's just a problem. You know, like so, so there's kind of different communities have emphasised different parts of that sort of triad. Um, and in our series we looked at, well, how do we, how do we find scripture again and how does it fit into our, our lens, um, yeah, given that it's, it's changing. Um, and we came up with sort of, Two things from that series, now I don't want to talk forever today, but two things from that series that I thought worth touching on before we start reading scripture as a community over Lent. Um, one was that this, um, to bring scripture back into community, that rather than needing to find an outdoor shed with your Bible every morning at about 5am, um, but that just take the pressure off that side of things, Jasmine, um, but uh, bringing it into this community is where we find ourselves today Um, but here um, what happens when you bring scripture into community to interpret and read and hear the voices of um, it means you get um, a diversity of opinions Um, I know we talked about womanist midrash I'm looking at the wrong way tissues but but in the midst of community you have voices that are not your own and they're looking from a lens that is not your own um, whether it be from a gender diverse perspective, an age background, anything. So you have the voices of interpretation and reading. That verse meant some, this to me. And you're like, that's intriguing. I would never have meant that to me because I'm not you, you know. So kind of bringing scripture back into this communal space. Um, anyone here at Christmas Eve? Yeah. So this is me checking my church attendance. <laughs> Thanks. Leah was here. Um, <laughs> um, we always talk about this mysterious church attendance Excel spreadsheet. It doesn't exist, by the way. <laughs> it's just, gosh. Um, but one cat who wrote the two, um, the song, she wrote some of the songs this morning, um, she wrote a series of poems um, on based off the Magnificat um, and she took for us to read. Um, and I sort of saw scripture. She, she dove into scripture to find that poetry. She'd studied and she was reading the book and she came up with this creative expression out of it that she shared with us, which was really moving for me. Um, and I would have never seen the scripture through her lens and her creativity. Um, and that's where community, rather than the pressure on the private, you know, you must read a text a day for the year. But uh, Kat read that text. She studied it um, and she brought a reflection on that into, this, into that space. Um, it also helps um, – scripture in the midst of community helps against – ego and power. Um, Every one of us have great capacity to twist and turn any verse into anything, um, which I'm sure church history has proven time and time again. Um, And to have it balanced and reflected and argued and wrestled with um, is a healthy practice. 
if I just tell you the interpretation of that, my ego, my power can, can get in the way of that also. No one is without it. Um, the more we bring it into our midst, um, the more that's a safeguard um, for that. The other thing that came out of it, um, and, and teachers here, I feel like I should get her up, um, but we talked about, um, so Kat's, I, this poem that she did has hints of a Jewish interpretive practice called Midrash, um, which might be, uh, let me, I don't use PowerPoints very well, so I always forget. There you go, that's what we do. Midrash, <laughs> here we go. Um, uh, so Midrash, this is a Jewish process that they adopted, and it's a process of interpretation seeking the answers to religious questions, both practical and theological, by plumbing the meaning of the words in the sacred writings. It's kind of this deep reflective inquiry to any matter um, brought up by the scripture, but also bridging it to the issues of today, which I'm sure we could list off in our mind of just today's current context. Kind of theologians would wrestle with not just that, but this um, and Midrash can craft new stories where there are biblical gaps. So in that reflective process, a new story might be written um, from the perspective of that tiny reference. Um, and that was given value in the, in the Jewish writings. It's not just, oh, that's nice, they wrote a little poem from that. You know, but that, oh, that, that came from a deep reflective, respectful practice. Um, and it has gravity because it came from the, the community of God. Um, and it can elaborate, this practice can elaborate on things, um, which oh, we were taught not to elaborate. And because, elab gosh, elaborating has had all sorts of outcomes. But it gives the importance to interpretation rather than just historical. No, I need you to know all the facts about Luke, um, who, who he was, where he wrote from. Um, but it more sort of says what was happening there, what voices were being limited, um, what... Um, moving beyond just memorising the, the text, um, to seek or to search, to kind of go in curious. Um, the rabbis divided uh, lots of rules, as a good rabbi would do, um, in the process of interpretation. There were lots and lots of rules about midrash, the practice of interpretation, to guide from just going a bit AWOL. Um, but that was, that was kept them grounded and um, that was their practice. But a Christian perspective on this midrashic interpretation kind of suggests an opportunity for wrestle, for pushback, inquiry, creativity, imagination and curiosity. Um, and, and you see that Jesus actually applied Midrash. When someone asked a question, he would often answer with another question when there was probably a, a Jewish rule that could have, a law that could have been adapted. But the question was more important and it was more loving than a scripture thrown at you. Anyone who's ever received a scripture thrown at them in a complicated situation just want to throw it back. Thank you very much. Um, it doesn't come with love. It comes with a sort of a superficial plastering of words that don't necessarily hear you. Um, it's like, I don't know, on Facebook you see a lot of people with uh, like a, a nice background and a scripture and that's, that's fine but sometimes that doesn't communicate in love the heart or the listening um, that needs to happen. Um, yeah, so Jesus definitely felt like there was more going on than just quoting of old scriptures at the right time with the right answer and fruit would come when it's something that's heard and creatively adapted or twisted even at times. Um, in Rachel Held Evans' book, um, she talks a lot about imagination and play. Um, I don't know when you last played with the words of scripture. Anyone? 
wrote something creative as a result of reading. Um, I was sort of taught not to trust that sort of thing. Um, but that this is a way of fidelity, that the scriptures were not dead and static and flat, but they were living and breathing, um, knowing and respecting. Um, so we, out of this kind of idea of community and out of this idea of kind of leaning on the Midrashic interpretation that the, the Jewish community has adopted, but a Christian version of that, we, we came up with these two questions that whenever we read um, some scripture, these two questions um, of I notice, so there's an observing, and then this kind of lovely question of I wonder, um, which, you know, I wonder why, you know, Abraham and Isaac, that story happened, it's, which is when you really look at it, a horrend, like I wonder why that horrible story was included or I wonder why God seemed like such an awful person in that moment or an awful deity in that moment. It validates that voice which often church would not validate a voice that questions. You just shut that down and God is good, don't you know? Let me quote your scripture on that. <laughs> but just, no, no, don't stop inquiry, open it up. Um, we're going to start with Luke. Um, let's go into the history of Luke. No, we're not going to start from there because I can see you glazing already. <laughs> so we shall not go into the history of Luke. Um, but what drew us to Luke as a, a little Lenten practice um, was the genre of Luke as a biography of a great man. Um, I'm sure there are a few people in politics at the moment who will be writing their own biographies, of, autobiographies of great men. Um, but these are written at a time where Luke mimics that style, this biography of someone great, um, in how he introduces it and also the miraculous birth story. I'm not going to argue that this morning, but, um, but that's, an, that's a practice that was given both Caesar and Nero... I think it was Nero who wrote an autobiography and, and wrote his own miraculous birth story, which is, you know, if you're ever feeling low, just know that he had, he had to include a miraculous birth story for himself. Um, but that, that kind of said something important, the angels have come and slept with my mother <laughs> and, and produced me. Um, but that kind of emphasised this, um, this idea, something great is about to happen. And we see that with Luke. So we have this introduction that was very similar to the genre and this miraculous birth, something great is about to happen. However, Luke is great because he then flips it. Um, and you get this term, the upside-down kingdom of God, which you might have heard, kingdom, kingdom, that we, we refer to here, um, that the great trajectory that normally would happen in a biography starts to turn nearly immediately. It's not a great story in the nature that everyone would have known great stories to happen and Rod's, Rod's line was golden of the biography of an ungreat, great man. Um, and so Jesus models a life that defies and undermines all that the Greco-Roman world thought was great. Um, so the passages we've, we chose are really like the ungreat, great story. Um, and so that's kind of where each little passage section... Um, I don't know, Jesus was just born into an obscure time in an obscure place... Um, his birth was just not quite what you'd expect. Um, this today's text is really upside down in that it tells the story of a woman. We hear a lot about Mary, a lot about Elizabeth, um, which is just not how you start a great biography and it's not how you start a movement. Um, you don't start with the story of a woman. It just wasn't the done deal at the time. Um, so the flipping all through the next four or five weeks, you'll see this flipping of what is great and it's actually often much smaller and much more humble um, and it's, it's a nice way to look at the lens of the scripture. 
Um, so we are going to. So I'm going to have to get better at. Found this really nice picture. Very yeah. good. Um, so that's why we've chosen Luke. Um, and we are going to read. I'm going to keep an eye on the time here. Um, we're going to read it today in our midst um, because you're welcome to read it at home, as some of you have. But we're going to read it in our midst. Um, we're using the inclusive interpretation of the scriptures, um, which is so that is a nice uh, way to read um, the text. We, um, I've asked three voices in the room to read for us. Um, and the questions I ask that you listen today with the I notice and I wonder. Um, there's lots to notice and lots to wonder. On your tables, there's a printout of it. Don't get overwhelmed by all the words, which is what I would do. If I And then don't turn it over because you will see it's two-sided. <laughs> um, but, but don't get overwhelmed um, if that's already you find yourself shutting off from what's about to happen. Um, you might want to shut your eyes and imagine this. Um, please be as creative and as imaginative as humanly possible. Um, uh, the weirdest question might be, the, you know, the most imaginative question. I cheer them on. Um, it just means, again, we're trying to not flatten scripture but breathe life back into this for us as a community. Um, I notice and I wonder. Um, and then if you're finding, oh, I don't even know what's going on, next week we'll, on the weekly note we'll post the next verse and you can have a practice at home again if you want to. Um, or just leave it in this community space if that's all just a bit too much for you right now. There's no pressure for this. Um, so close your eyes, read what's on your table. Um, you're welcome to read on the weekly note on the Facebook page. Um, but I'm going to hand to number one with our readers. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Six months later, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a young woman named Mary. She was engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Upon arriving, the angel said to Mary, Rejoice, highly favoured one, God is with you. Blessed are you among women. Mary was deeply troubled by these words and wondered what the angel's greeting meant. The angel went on to say to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You'll conceive and bear a son and give him the name Jesus, Deliverance. His dignity will be great and he will be called the only begotten of God. God will give Jesus the judgment seat of David, his ancestor, to rule over the house of Jacob forever and his reign will never end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have never been with a man? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Hence the offspring to be born will be called the Holy One of God. Know too that Elizabeth, your kinswoman, has conceived a child in her old age. She who was thought to be infertile is now in her sixth month. Nothing is impossible with God. Mary said, I am the servant of God. Let it be done to me as you say. With that, the angel left her. Within a few days, Mary set out and hurried to the hill country to a town of Judah 
where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. As soon as Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why am I so favoured that the mother of the Messiah should come to me? The moment you greeted the moment you, your greeting reached my ears, the child in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who believed that what our God said to her would be accomplished. Mary said, My soul proclaims your greatness, O God, and my spirit rejoices in you, my Saviour. You have looked with favour upon your lowly servant, and from this day forward all generations will, be, will call me blessed. For you, the Almighty, have done great things for me, and holy is your name. Your mercy reaches from age to age for those who fear you. You have shown strength with your arm. You have scattered the proud in their conceit. You have deposed the mighty from their thrones and raised the lowly to high places. You have filled the hungry with good things, for you have sent the rich way empty. You have come to the aid of Israel, your servant, mindful of your mercy, the promise you made to our ancestors, to Sarah and Abraham, and their descendants forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned home. In those days, Caesar Augustus published a decree ordering a census of the whole Roman world. The first census took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All the people were instructed to go back to the towns of their birth to register. And so Joseph went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to the city of David, Bethlehem in Judea, because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. He went to register with Mary, his espoused wife, who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her delivery. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She put him in a simple cloth wrapped like a receiving blanket and laid him in a feeding trough for cattle because there was no room for them at the inn. There were shepherds in the area living in the fields and keeping night watch by turns over their flocks. The angel of God appeared to them and the glory of God shone around them. They were very much afraid. The angel said to them, you have nothing to fear. I come to proclaim good news to you, news of great joy be shared by the whole people. Today in David's city, a saviour, the Messiah, has been born to you. Let this be a sign to you. You'll find an infant wrapped in a simple cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in high heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom God's favour rests. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see this event that God has made known to us. They hurried and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Once they saw this, they reported what they had been told concerning the child. All who heard about it were astonished at the reports given by the shepherds. Mary treasured all these things and reflected on them in her heart. The shepherds went away glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, 
just as they had been told. It's true, I realise you were on the side of like most hesitant to read the scriptures. <laughs> Apologies. Um, anyone, I'm going to start with a, with a slightly exclusory statement. Anyone who actually ref- went through this week and read it and has read the scripture through the week um, and maybe has had a chance for it to percolate, percolate um, would anyone from that category, is that terrible, um, like to just share first? Um, I just want to give. Then I notice, I wonder, even, yeah, what what happened, how difficult it was. Um. I really liked the, the big long speech by Mary and Elizabeth. Is it Elizabeth? Um, and then I, I was like, ah, oh, great. Uh, there's so much kind of sexism in the Bible and there's this great long dialogue between these two women. And then I was like, oh, I, I, I'm trying to remember if, if Joseph ever gets a word in the Bible, which I'm fine with him not getting a word. Genuine question, does he ever get quoted in the Bible at all? Anyone know? It's very interesting, like, in kind of contrast of, if you read Matthew's beginning, um, it's the story of Joseph. Like, this is, Luke has just flipped it already because it's Joseph's lineage, Joseph's, the vision to Joe. Like, it's a real... It's worth a contrast just to read the start of that versus this because another gospel tracks Joseph's story and this one doesn't at all. He's just um, yeah, hardly mentioned at all, at all. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, really interesting contrast. Anyone else who um, think spoke? Oh, we just keep <coughs> I at the very start of it, just got hung up on the idea of Mary as highly favoured. And just wondered, you know, was she somehow, like, how did that process go? How was she de- decided upon, was she just generally kind of a, you know, good person? Did, was there anything about her character, you know, like, just that idea just stood with me through the whole thing of why it was. Any other unnoticed I wonders that anywhere from anyone? Um, yeah, the thing I got hooked on actually following on from Stu's statement is that she's highly favoured and her rea- – I mean, she was scared at the beginning, but then her reaction is essentially like wonderful, praise be to God. But um, And my knowledge of culture isn't so great, but um, isn't her being pregnant without being married – really crap for her in cult and actually could put her completely homeless and she didn't it doesn't mention if Joseph we didn't know Joseph wasn't going to then go oh that's okay no I'll still marry you anyway so my I think I just went well my reaction would be well now I'm screwed um and so I'm quite surprised at her reaction and wonder at that I guess I thought of something which is kind of embarrassing, but I'm going to say it because I'm sure other people have sort of come to this point as well, is where you suddenly go, how does Luke know what Mary said to Elizabeth? Like there was no film crew, like did Luke go around interviewing everybody? You know, like, and I know that these are stories that are passed down, but... 
people have raised these kind of things for a long time and I think when we're very stuck in church teaching, we go, oh, well, it's inspired by God and that, like, fixes everything. Like, God just told them. Like, God just played them the tape or um, – but I I don't know. The more I think about things like this, I listen to stuff and I go, mm, like, how did he know that they were the exact words and, like, whose words were they and did it happen in that way or was that, you know – I think it's that same thing of not being able to accept uh, that things might not be an accurate word-for-word description. And once you accept that maybe they're not, then you wonder how much of it is actually an accurate description, how much of it is a story or someone's story in someone else's words or something that represented something else. And everything comes into question. I think like a question that follows that is if it is a story that was told and retold and added and is it still valid to us as the people of God? You know, that kind of – is it if the literal is the only – yeah, is it um, – because the Magnificat is nowhere else. Like this is a once-off mention of this song um, and for a 15 – 14-year-old, 15-year-old woman, pop, most likely uneducated, where did these words come from? You know, that – suddenly the tone changes in the song and you think is that is that Mary, is that her words is that come from her and it's yeah any other go creative go wild there's no there's a few um you kind of hit on it but i um find it difficult to read anything of mary without being just so aware of how young she was um, thinking about what it's like to be a 15-year-old, kind of a bit desperate and a bit unconnected. Um, my 15-year-old self was very different to that, but still very unconnected and a little bit desperate. Um, and this sense that even though Luke is writing this with that little bit of poetry and sheen, even when she's interacting people with people, I feel this sense of her separateness from everyone else. And then that, you know, the shepherds come and she, like, stores it up and thinks about, you know, this little seed that she kind of keeps for herself, that sense of separateness that comes from being put apart from going through this experience when you are, like, 15 and you don't hear from her husband. Like, I had this connected to you somehow along so many moments of life. The angel's cracking up. Um... Gabriel, how do we know it's Gabriel? Does he wear a name tag on the front? Why not Raphael or one of the others? <laughs> Donatello, you know. Um, I, I don't have the answer to that. I, think, no, I was going to say, I, I, what I really struggle with in a lot of biblical verses is this whole, like, nothing is impossible with God and just believe and it's going to happen. And so I find and like that has been used a lot to be like, oh, this thing that you want to have, this outcome, you're not going to have enough faith. And there's that in plot too of the, like the whole when he talks to people about God and um, you know, blessed are you who believe what Isaiah quotes from the Lord will accomplish. Uh, there's like this correlation between your level of faith and And when you take that, I'm sure we've seen it maybe at um, that Christian bookshop. What's that? Kurong, like it's on a poster, nothing is impossible with God. You know, like when it's just that, um, you know, I can't, you know, become taught 
can I become taller? You know, like they just go, that's thrown at us in so many contexts that it's not loving, again, that sense of like the midrashic, what's the heart of things rather than what's the right requote or memorization of things. Um, maybe two more. Two on the back table. I kind of just enjoyed the perhaps like foresight of Mary and you noted like with what happened to her with the terrible thing of like the first thing that angel says to her is all good words. Rejoice, highly favored one. You're blessed. Yay. You're blessed. And her reaction immediately is, oh crap. Just, Mary was deeply troubled by these words. Like did she just get the gut feeling of like this is not a good thing. Yeah, you, you're favoured. Oh, no, this is not going to turn out well. Um, and just I love the reaction of everyone. It must be more common in those days that no one's perturbed or surprised by just angels appearing. Bing, angels can go, oh, cool, yep. Just That's a normal thing. And none of us would react the same way. Since we're still talking about Mary. <laughs> um, oh, who was it that said, why Mary? My, um, I always wonder, because... She said yes at the end, like, you know, it was eventually consensual after all of the fear and, oh, crap, how can this happen? But so that makes me wonder, you know, was she first on the list or how many how many young women said no? <laughs> we just, like, didn't stop screaming or said no, piss off with that. Or <laughs> um, I actually find the deeply troubled bit, like, my favourite because I feel like um, like what we don't get is like a time stamp of what's going on here. But what we do get is like where all my fear comes in about things that are happening. It's kind of accepted in her statement of she was deeply troubled because her first reaction wasn't, oh, joy. That came later. And we don't even know how long in between deeply troubled and oh, joy. So it's kind of like she actually did react kind of normally she kind of did go hey shit this sucks (laughs) I'm troubled and then somewhere in the process of whatever timeline or however long she found an an acceptance and I don't know what that means or looks like for her and that sounds crazy but I do love that there is this I'm deeply troubled in this that makes me feel really human with her And what you're witnessing is we call this the FNCC snowball. We're just, but this is, yeah, really, really interesting just to hear each other's what stood out. Um, uh, for a while there, the, you know, an angel overshadowing a young girl, making her pregnant. Why isn't anyone quest- worried? Like that, that's, that's comp- you know, that's got layers to it. And, and I've never read... It's quite a consensual, like you said, consent. Like I'm like, oh, this is, whatever's happening in this story, there is. This is what, and she says, yes, that's let it be done. Um, the first cons- consensual, <laughs> complicated relationship going on. Um, but yeah, in reading it um, a few times, I was struck by just it's the practice of just rereading scripture a few times. Is I think I've said it a few times now. It's, it's not my regular practice of just sitting with one text again and again. Um, but you can't help but feel like these two women, like we talk about the movie, like we're zooming in on these two women. And one is too young and unwed and one is too old and, you know, referred to as infertile. And just this is just so – I think it just struck me how um, 
kind of complex both situations are. Um, but how kind this older woman comes at the right time to reassure her, like the age gap would have been huge, um, you know, of this sort of – I'd never really thought about the age gap between them. Um, but I like Elizabeth. I feel like I like her being present as this grounding per- person for um, – and she was in this kind of changing gears process herself as someone who um, was not expecting a child and now is. Um, and in that culture that would have been complete shame um, – and she would have been seen as outcast in, in that already. Um, also what stood out for me was just the difference of where's Joseph? And I'm like, I'm sure I've read more about Joseph somewhere else. And you have. You're like, there's there's so much of Joseph in Matthew who was a Jew and Luke probably um, a Gentile but not quite sure. But this sort of flipping – oh, so our Luke being kind of – our oh, different voices are important to hear. Um, and – there's so much hopeful news. Like it's really optimistic. This is a really hopeful, prophetic, positive energy coming, especially from the angelic voices to both the shepherds and to Mary. Um, and I ended up in my reflection, I started writing letters to Mary and to Elizabeth um, and I didn't write any to, to – but I found that process really life-giving for me. Um, and, gosh, I'll never be – Never be seven, you know, six or seven months pregnant reading this again. I don't think <laughs> the plan is not. But I was like, oh, that's a new perspective that out now I have, um, with a child leaping in me. Like, oh, I've never read it from that particular perspective, um, and in reflection, that that was quite touching for me. Um, that's never been the case for me, you know. So that was something I just noticed in myself. Of the more I sat with it, and the more I just let myself get creative, the more I found it quite personal and I allowed my voice kind of became connected to the voices in front of me right not right or wrong um, but just creative Um, so I guess what I want us to leave with today is that yes and you know not well that's not right well that perspective needs some more biblical interpretation we should get Tisha and Annika to correct like not that at all um, but just yes and this is the process of exploration this is the creative getting imaginative letting your mind meet it, letting your experience meet this experience. Um, and we want to encourage that over the next few weeks. Um, if you can get a chance to read this, the text that comes up in your weekly note, um, have, a, have a go. It's um, from something that might not have been part of your week. Do it. Otherwise, enjoy sharing and hearing scripture here in this space over the next few weeks as well. Um, and, and we hope that it's life-giving rather than could just be confusing, but I hope that it's a life-giving few weeks for us as we sit with Luke and hear about that particular view of everything. Um, so we're going to come together in communion. <coughs> One thing just that sort of stood out with me is, um, like Kat, you know, I've talked about Kat a bit, of just letting scripture influence her music and her poetry, um, painting as well. Like you, you, Every time you see a painting, it's someone's interpretation of an event that was perhaps an interpretation of someone else's interpretation, um, and all are valid, all have something because it brings the voice of this artist into this situation, and that is valid as we call ourselves a spirit-filled community. The spirit lives in each, um, and the perspective holds something of the divine aspect. Um, and yeah, I enjoy finding um, paintings that just bring another aspect. But if you want to paint as a response and bring it in, gosh, 
do it. <laughs> if you want to paint during, that's fine as well. Um, but yeah, I hope that we can be creative and give ourselves permission to just enjoy this process. Um, communion here um, is not a forced thing, um, but it is part of every week in a Church of Christ community. Um, and we gather around in a large circle and um, like we're our tradition, that tricycle, um, this is part of our tradition um, that we still hold dear as we remember the Christ event um, and figure out what that means for us. Um, there's gluten-free crackers and grape juice. Um, they need cracking and there are some seaweed crackers in our midst as well, if that is your preference. Um, and so we'll have to start thinking about hand sanitizer. Um, but anyway, if you haven't got a cold, <laughs> crack the cracker today. Um, and um, if you don't feel comfortable with that, just take a small um, uh, piece of grape juice. And let's gather in a circle. Stay seated if you want to. Um, you don't have to partake, but otherwise the rest, come and stand at least in a circle around and we'll take communion together. What's that? Yeah, you can. We've got a stick to crack things. Look at us go. Look, thank you, Jane, the scientist in our midst. Oops, they're on the floor. The floor should be. That's fine. <laughs> I'll just pray for us, and then we can we can eat and drink together. Um. God, um, we come together around this text, we come together in this community and around this practice um, because we feel like this is a life-giving place or it once was a life-giving place for us um, and we hope that it one day will be a life-giving place for us. Um, let us drink um, from this well. Let us um, not be afraid as we explore faith, um, but let us be curious and um, filled with wonder and filled with our creativity, filled with our imagination um, let things come to life and, um, yeah, and may we enjoy the journey. Amen. Let's eat and drink together, guys. Be blessed. Thanks, guys. Everyone have a lovely, lovely day. The sun somewhere. Um, and we will see you around. Bye.